Welcome to this episode of Law Girl. I'm Jasmine Dea coming to you from my law firm, Jasmine Dea and Company, a personal injury law firm located in Midtown Toronto. With me today is a special guest, Doug Murray. He is a partner with Taylor, Obala, Murray, and Leyland, LLP, practicing in the areas of film, television, new media, and music law. You may be wondering what all those areas are, and we're going to bother Doug to tell us in a minute, but I'm going to continue telling you about him. Doug acts for a wide variety of film, TV, and new media producers, financiers, distributors, agents, artists, writers, directors, actors, and musicians. Doug has extensive experience representing film financiers and acting as production legal counsel, including handling rights acquisitions, international co-pro agreements, broadcast and distribution deals, performer agreements, production financing, tax credit optimization, and E&O insurance reviews for a long list of feature films and TV series. Interestingly, Doug is not just a lawyer. He is a working actor who used commercials to help pay his way through law school. Doug began his legal career as a trial lawyer in Toronto, acting for clients in the courtrooms while fitting in film and TV roles and at night performing sketch and improv comedy. <laughs> Doug, welcome. Hey. How are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you? Good. Good. This is my, uh, feels like my first day out during the COVID period. So I had to. Well, you know, I'm trying to think about who the last person was that was actually in my office. And I can't tell you because no one has been in my office for a month. So it's so exciting to have someone so, here. I'm that someone and I'm happy to be here. So tell us, you were an actor. Yeah. How did you decide to go to law school? Yeah, I... Um I, it's funny. I'm I'm almost as interested in the kind of answers that you get to that question than than my own answer. But I think uh, for me, it's probably you know a combination of things, and maybe that's similar for other folks. Um, you know, I I I guess as I went through uh, university, I kind of like the idea of a of a challenge. But I think it goes even further back than that. I do recall uh, meeting with a guidance counselor in high school and we had to pick, you know, what university you wanted to go to. They made you meet with the guidance counselor. And I remember they asked me, what do you want to do? Uh, and I said, well, I, I think I'd like to be, uh, a lawyer and an actor. I was doing well in school, but I was also one of the theater performers back in high school. And so I kind of love, love the idea of why can't my life just continue to be that. I kind of like the challenge of are you, doing saying, that? are you saying that we lawyers are acting all day, every day? Yeah. Well, yeah. No, it's funny. It's funny because I remember we had, I had a course in, in law school with, taught by Eddie Greenspan, who was, you know, the preeminent criminal lawyer of in course. Canada and his brother. Yes. And uh, they would just kind of pull up in their jags late usually for our class and they'd come in and they would just basically, I mean, there was a 
there was a uh, you know a course syllabus, but basically it was them telling war stories. And one of the things that uh, Eddie talked about was how when he conducted a trial, he viewed it very much like a piece of theater, and that the jury was the audience, and uh, that he had to humanize his client who who he wanted to make the protagonist. And so there was you know that. It was everything, you know, or that would be everything from how they dressed and, you know, and, and how, what their demeanor was um, and how he would, you know, then characterize the other side. And, and uh, um, so, yeah, I always thought, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. That is, you know, I thought that, so that makes sense for me. And so mm-hmm. I, I remember in law school uh, thing, I'm cutting ahead to now I'm in law school. I remember thinking. Which law school? Uh, U of T. Okay. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking. Uh, well, part of the reason I, I wanted to go to U of T was I could still I could still work as an actor while going to law school. So I would I could be there and I would ride my bike down to auditions, get people to take notes for me, and it kind of worked out because I ended up you know getting a few commercials and just all you needed was one or two to help pay for you know a lot of the expenses. So that helped, and I remember thinking, oh, you know what. I guess as an actor, because that's my other thing, I should probably, I would want to do litigation because that's where the emotions are. And that's where, that's where all that stuff is that as an actor, you might be attracted to. So that was initially what I did. I articled at a um, litigation firm and I, and while I was there, they also had a couple lawyers who handled criminal law. So I kind of glommed on to them. So I was doing criminal and civil uh, when I articled and, uh, that's kind of the the origin story. Okay, so before I go back into law, tell yeah. us in terms of acting, what have you been in that we would know? Oh, um, well, a lot of bad stuff. I can tell oh. you, that. I specialize <laughs> in the bad stuff. Uh, no, I, there's been. I mean, I for well, how years. How bad is bad? Like, are we talking like oh, violence, or are no, we talking like bedroom stuff? Like, no, what are we talking yeah, about? No, that would be a step up, probably. No, I mean, you know, like a lot of. I've done a lot of kind of Disney and Disney esque stuff and Hallmark kind of stuff and i that's actually really good compared to where my mind was going oh got it yeah Yeah. i hear what you're saying yeah sorry yeah when you say bad bad. okay fair enough yeah 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 there's different gradations of bad yes and uh yeah i've done a lot of that stuff but i've also been in some really good things i got to be in um uh an oscar award-winning movie a few years ago called spotlight um where I played one of the uh, news editors of the the Boston Globe that kind of breaks the story about the the priests in Boston who were uh, abusing the kids. And uh, but the cast was amazing. It was Michael Keaton and Leo Schreiber and uh, Rachel McAdams and Mark Ruffalo and and uh, so it was yeah it was. That was fantastic. And there's been others. I had a movie with Robin Williams years ago, and I've done some series work, which was great. But I tend to, when people ask me, you know, what have you seen? You know what it is? I think the only thing that when when people do see me in something, typically it'll be the thing that you don't want them to see you in. You know what it is? <laughs> right, so those ones you remember. <laughs> exactly. Like the thing that as you're doing it, you're thinking, I hope no one sees this one. Yeah. That's the one that'll be on Netflix on repeat. Like I did an episode of Suits, for instance. Uh, and I, I remember at the time, show. well, right, one fine. Of my but I, I remember the time doing it thinking, I hope nobody sees this sucker. And sure enough, I 
that's the one that people seem so to respond Harvey to. So Harvey in person, is he that good looking? Oh, he's a hot number. Mm. Uh, well, no, he's, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. And mm. uh, that whole cast was was very cool. Uh, I told uh, Meghan Markle, you know, marry up, I said. And it looks like she did. Turns out she heeded my advice. So, yep. yeah, turned, it was right. a win-win for everybody there. <laughs> but, yeah, and I, I did, I mean, when I was in law school, I did a lot of commercials. I did commercials for, that was my bread and butter for, you know, a few years, even just out of um, when I, Kind of once I decided, um, like the firm I was with said, "Hey, you know, you can stay on." And I thought, "Oh, if I do that, I'm going to start making money and then buying things that I'll owe that money on." And you know, if I'm going to give this acting thing a kick at the can, I should probably make that break now, like before I even start as an associate. So I did. Um, well, that was my next question. So yeah. you're in, you were doing litigation. Yeah. And then you made the switch. Is it because you were with actors and just giving your card out? Or is it because you thought yeah. something different? You know what? It's it's a bit of both. I think, um, I, you know, a lot of the, because once I'd been acting for a while and, you know, I was starting to get bigger. It wasn't just commercials now. Now the auditions were getting bigger and, and I realized that, you know, with litigation, you can't move those court dates. Really. You need to bring a motion to oh, bring, move your court dates. Yeah. My calendar <laughs> is so full. I mean, yeah. during COVID, a lot of things got canceled because we litigators did not know how to how to proceed virtually. So we yeah. have now learned how to use Zoom to do examinations for discovery and oh, mediations. Wow. Even Toronto really? Court does pretrial by Zoom. And let wow. me tell you, I the first one was a telephone call with the Toronto Courthouse with a pretrial and it was not very helpful at all. Yeah, the judge tried, but it was just not helpful. But I had one with Zoom and it was incredible. And the judge really worked hard to get it done. And uh, we resolved, shockingly. Wow. Yes, he was He was so excited to say that I will now leave the room and go to a breakout room. And um, you yeah. know, all of us knew because we've used Zoom before, but we didn't interrupt the judge. We just went yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he got the job done. So we have now learned how to evolve with the times, which That's, has enabled me yeah. to work remotely. Um, so I did do a discovery while I was in Muskoka, oh. which I've never been able to do and wow. nor would I've ever been able to do it previously. So I can move around a little bit more, yeah. but you're right. My calendar is, is my calendar. It is what it is. And I can't move things around perhaps maybe the way you can now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm at what I was going to ask you. I mean, do you think that'll be kind of the future? Do you think that I actually now, now do. that the courts have seen that this can be done? The courts are not excited about change. So I can't speak for the courts. They really should have moved faster at modernization. And I think this pandemic was a big wake up call, but I'm still not I'm I'm seeing the courts reopen as of the last couple of weeks. And it's like they're just reverting to the old instead of saying, okay, we've learned how to move forward. However, in practice, the lawyers are saying, wait a second, we kind of like this remote thing. We don't need to be driving around all over Ontario or flying. Yeah. Like I would have to fly to Windsor for a one hour appearance in court. Oh, that's crazy. Um, or a, a brief discovery. And your client would have to pay for all of exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, so, and the disbursements add up. So um, the lawyers are definitely, I think, wanting some of it to stay. Uh, some of the quick, easy discoveries um, amongst counsel, I think, will stay electronic because you're right. It's the clients that bear the 
cost. It's the lawyers that waste time with uh, travel. But I think when there is a heated issue and dispute, advocacy really requires in-person communication because it is an art, I believe. Um, You know, if it's a standard case, unopposed, a consent matter, you know, non-contentious facts, then sure, Zoom is fine. And I think it will stay. I really do. But time will tell. No, but that would, I mean, it just, it kind of makes sense. And it it feels like, you know, there wouldn't have been a motivation to have made this happen. But for, exactly, right. It's like a pandemic for lawyers to uh, modernize and go with the times. Like we do virtual commissioning now and it makes so much sense. It takes me how many seconds to scribble my signature on something. So someone would have to come here from wherever, you know, Brampton, Mississauga, Newmarket. They'd have to come to my office just for me to commission something. And now I can just do this virtually through video conference. And so how does it say on on the document? Does it... Does it reference that somehow? Or? Yeah, so we reference it, but they then will they'll sign in front of me. I'm witnessing. I'm yeah. ensuring that this is the person. Yeah. They're going to send it to me by email, and I'm then going to commission it yeah. and send it back. Yeah. Um, and this makes a lot of sense to me. It, yeah. it seems nonsensical that someone now would come into my office from wherever for yeah. this few seconds. Yeah. That's so, good. Yeah, I think so. See, silver linings yes, everywhere. Everywhere. Um, okay, getting back to you. I could talk about me also. So let's do time. that. <laughs> getting back to you. Okay, we listed a whole bunch of stuff that you do. And a lot of it, I don't really... No. Yeah. Yeah. But tell us, simply stated, the abbreviated version, what do you do as an entertainment lawyer? Forget the nitty gritty details. Yeah. But first overview. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I was I was thinking about best way to answer something like this. I, I suppose that the simplest way to put it would be to say that we help creative stuff get made. You know, so if you are, you know, a um, a writer who has written a script, and you want to approach, or maybe you're approached by a production company that says, "Hey, we want to, we'd like to do something with this," or maybe it's a network directly or somebody. Um, how do they get ownership of that? What do they pay you? How how are you involved in the production? All of those kind of questions. If it sells internationally, do you get to make any money from that? Um, you know, it's all intellectual property based. It doesn't mean, I mean, entertainment law has many different facets to it in terms of disciplines within it, I suppose. There's corporate law, commercial law, intellectual property are all very much part of what we call entertainment law, which, and maybe that's why a lot of people say, what does that mean really? Are you entertaining? We hope so. But, you know, what are you really doing? And and that's it. It's, it's basically helping um, bring together uh, uh, creativity, financing for that creativity, the ability to to produce and exploit that creativity in ways that work for everybody. All right. So it's very, it's funny because when I, you know, I articled at at a litigation firm and I remember, you know, how I would, you know, see so many of the lawyers there and because that's what they did, they would have to kind of, you know, manufacture indignation, you know, out of, out of, out of nowhere to, you know, get 
you know, what they needed to negotiate something to, you know, it was always about, it was this adversarial approach and, and understandably because it's, you know, by nature that, but whereas on the entertainment side, it's really about in some ways as a lawyer, you know, you're there to help you're not brokering it per se, but oftentimes clients are looking for your advice because you, let's face it, we're seeing all these deals. We start to know what makes sense and what's kind of typical. Well, typically you would get this much on the your net profits. Typically it would cost this. Typically they could do this. Um, and so we're there to advise and, and basically assist with bringing that transaction together. And often the best entertainment lawyers are people who know when to get out of the way. Right. And know when not to turn it into look what a great lawyer I am show. Right. And look how how much I can redline this document. It's, you know, because we see that and and, you know, oftentimes it just can scuttle a deal because, um, you know, a lot of these creative ventures are very much about momentum, right? It's about, you know, so-and-so had a meeting with so-and-so and and they're like, yeah, I love that idea. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to send you an agreement. We're going to get my, my person on that and we're going to get this done. And then, you know, that person leaves the office and the person, the other person who might've been very excited, well, sometimes interest can wane, other ventures can kind of come into their orbit and now maybe they're not as interested. And if, you know, if you were representing the other side of it, you probably wanted to get that deal done sooner than later. And if you had kind of approached it with a scorched earth approach that we're going to get everything out of these guys and we're going to get you the best deal possible and it'll be 50 pages and whatnot, oftentimes, you know, creativity and that momentum kind of moves on. And so you, you do need to kind of seize the moment and kind of go with the flow all the time, watching out for your client's interest, but you know, in a way that doesn't suddenly turn this into something else. And yeah, there are times when we'll have a client, maybe it's a musician or somebody who's offered a deal that is just so horrible that you do need to kind of speak up, you know, in those instances and say, you know, (laughs) this deal, this isn't so much about me making this deal happen in a way with some tweaks. This is like a, this is a gong show right from the start. And so they need to know that as well. But typically it's not that typically it's yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to make this work. And there's just some tweaks that need to be made. And, and, uh, you know, okay, so way. basically what you're telling me is when my book, Law Girls Bump in the Road, becomes a movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a deal and bring it to you and you're going to tell me if I'm getting screwed. Exactly. Okay, I got it. That's what we're here for. Okay. That's- and you will know because as you said, you have the experience of looking at other agreements to have an idea. Yeah, about, exactly. you know, again, whether I'm getting about, screwed or not. Exactly. So sometimes, <laughs> yeah, and it may be, it may, I mean, to assess the level of screwedness, it may not even take us that long initially, right? It, it may first be, glance, sometimes I'll say, you know, why don't you just flip me over the deal and then I can have a, just a quick two minute look and I'll know, I can give you a quote then basically, because, you know, these deals can be a million different ways to Sunday. Yeah. It can be, you know, I got a one pager or I got a hundred pager yeah. and they may still all be called an option agreement or a mm-hmm. shopping agreement or a development agreement. Often, oftentimes those, those are all interchangeable. So yeah, I'll say just shoot it over. Let me have a, just a two minute look just to see if we're even in the right universe of what I think we're in here or you, your understanding is of what we're in. Um, and then kind of let them know that, okay, you know what, this 
looks like, yeah, we're on the right track. It looks like, you know, maybe it'll take me an hour. Maybe it'll take me two hours. Well, there'll be a couple back and forths with opposite counsel and that kind of thing. Okay. And so there was something in your introduction that stuck out to me because I had also never heard of this. Um, was it new media? Yeah. And and tell us what is that? I think, yeah, I, you know, I mean, put. yeah, I think, uh, you know, we kind of use that as a bit of a catch-all and to some extent it's already become kind of a dated term really when we talk about new media is for it, a long time. Is it, kind it of dated? Because I've never heard it. Well, well, yeah, well, it's, I think it's because you know, it would have been referred, we might've been referring to, you know, digital media, or, you know, maybe it was a YouTube personality and we've repped, uh, you know, quite a few of those okay. or it's, um, so like, do you help influencers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Influencers. Okay. It can be, uh, you know, it could be a, a merchandising agreement. It could be an influencer agreement, aggregators, uh, YouTube personalities, um, you know, all kinds of, uh, social media purveyors, <laughs> one way of putting it. But yeah, I mean, that's that I suppose might be all kind of in the new media realm or what one might might think that way. But as I say, we represent, um, you know, lots of musicians and um, actors, production companies, directors, uh, writers. And so there's always going to be those crossovers, right? I mean, with some of our biggest music clients, I mean, they're that we're in, in fact, we get calls all the time. Uh, you know, people find out that our firm represents so-and-so. And so we'll get calls, we'll get emails, uh, you know, would, would they be interested in this? I've got this great idea. And it, it can be anything. It could be some kind of product or service or of show or, um, and so, you know, and we're not really there. We're not their agent, but uh, at the same time, you know, if it seems like something we think our client might be interested in, obviously we'll, we'll forward that. And then maybe some of the others, eh, you know, think about it. So give us a fun story. Obviously you can't name your clients, but is there a crazy or fun story about an interesting client that you've had? Um, yeah, we, uh, I was thinking that, um, one of the more, uh, I guess notable, uh, clients or matters we had recently was this, um, these, uh, documentary filmmakers in Ottawa, uh, reached out to us and I think a couple of other entertainment law firms saying that, look, they had been, they'd made a documentary about a movie that is widely considered to be one of the worst movies ever made, um, called The Room. Okay. Have you heard of The Room? I and have. Then, and then, yeah. And then there was a, a uh, studio picture called The Disaster Artist starring James Franco that was made uh, based on uh, the making of The Room. The Room. And he portrayed Tommy Wiseau. So you know all about I, that? Yeah, or? I heard in the, like, <clears throat> my husband pays attention to all of this so okay. that, you know, he's talking and I, so, it, you know, I've heard, um, but I haven't watched, I didn't pay close yeah. attention, but I've heard little comments from him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show was decades ago where mm -hmm. people would show up to the screenings like repeatedly, like hundreds of times in different cities around the world because it's got this cult following <clears throat> and it has now, it's been 
I think it's what, 17 years now since it was made. And so, and oftentimes Tommy, the maker of the room and the star of the room would show up uh, and still does to screenings around the world. And uh, one of the fans or some of the fans were these <clears throat> filmmakers in Ottawa mm-hmm. who had been to the screenings in Ottawa and said, you know, we should make a documentary about the phenomenon around this. How is, how is this, you know, how is this possible? How could something like this have happened where you've got this movie that is, you know, considered so bad and yet still so popular? What is that? What's that about? And so But they, aren't there a lot of movies like that, that, you know, critics, people yeah. say it's so horrible, but they end up being very popular. Like yeah. Half the movies that win awards, I've never even heard of, but they're so artistic, apparently. And the people yeah. that are, you know, giving these awards out think they're wonderful. Meanwhile, yeah. the general public is like, mm, I'm not so sure yeah, about that. Yeah, exactly. I know. And those are, I, I mean, I think this would probably fall into a different category where it people are watching it largely because of how bad it is or (laughs) do you know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of the attraction. Um, And there's always been a mystery as to, you know, to what extent, uh, you know, did Tommy intend certain things in the film and whatnot. And so that's part of what these guys explored. They made this documentary and um, in any event, once they were about to release it, uh, uh, Tommy had found out about it and uh, brought, uh, an injunction. Well, he must have been them. very upset. Yes, and uh, didn't like what was uh, shown in the film. And, and the film largely, you know, reviews it. It interview they interviewed uh, people who were, um, uh, you know, in all the actors in the movie. They interviewed film critics. They, you know, they they. I feel like I need to watch this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they dug into it, and so. But this this is the second thing they now have to watch. Yeah, exactly. You got to <laughs> watch my both. List. You got to watch. Yeah, you got to watch both. And uh, and so uh, anyway, they brought an injunction. So these guys needed help. They didn't have uh, legal counsel, and so um, some friends of ours who'd helped us on the litigation side. Uh, Matt Diskin, Meredith Bacall, they're at uh, uh, Denton's now. Um, they uh, they'd helped us on some other cases, uh, you know, entertainment matters that went litigious. And uh, I flipped this email over because these guys have sent out this email, kind of like an SOS email. Help us, we you know, I've got this injunction, and they explain what the documentary is about. And I thought that's that's not right. They're, they should be allowed to make a documentary reviewing this film. Um, and so I flipped an email over to them and said, what do you guys think? I mean, we could take this on pro bono. Maybe we'll, we'll kind of split up the, the, the tasks. Obviously you guys, the litigators are going <clears> to <throat> know what to do there, but what do you think? And they emailed me back, I think within minutes and said, let's do this. And, uh, so we took it on and, um, we, you know, we won, uh, you know, on behalf of our clients, won uh, the uh, over overturning the injunction that fall. So now we're looking at, is this two years ago or two and a half years ago? And then and weren't able to settle after that. And we actually had a trial on this in January. First two weeks of January were really? this past. Yeah. It, and and we a got decision? a decision about a month ago and it is overwhelmingly in our client's favor on every ground that was alleged but is it being appealed? breach of copyright uh not sure at this point but um it's uh it's yeah and and so now we've got this cool 
I say cool because, you know, in the legal sense, real cool uh, <laughs> uh, decision that, you know, is is now um, this great help to filmmakers in Canada, particularly well, in the areas. Right, about what they can and cannot yeah, because I mean, we've, you know, there's been, there was a Supreme Court decision, you know, uh, years ago mm-hmm. or a couple decades ago that um, dealt with uh, photocopying at the Law Society and they use that to deal with the concept of fair dealing, right? And so I think the justices at the time knew, well, we may not get many of these cases cross our plate, so we will try and, you know, uh, analyze this whole part of the law as best we can to provide as maximum guidance that we can. But really, at the end of the day, it was a case about, you know, making photocopies in the law library. Um, And how much of that, you know, can you really... How much can you use in today's world? Yeah. And and when dealing with a documentary and when dealing with all these... um, So this decision, is it um, publicly available? Was it reported? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Justice Paul Shabus. Okay, who, now you're giving me reading that I need to yeah, do. Exactly. I, I'm loading Movies, you reading, I'm you're loading you me up with yeah. work here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, it, it's going to bother me if I don't look. So yeah. I guess I'm not going to that birthday party tonight I no, told you about. I'm no. going to be busy uh, watching yeah, you got, and reading. You've got some homework. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds that you're very passionate about what you do. And I love hearing that because I feel that about my job, unless I'm reading things wrong. Oh, I hate it. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So any regrets about leaving litigation? No, no, well, no. Well, it seems like I, you still get your feet wet every once in a while, yeah. you know, with others such exactly. as that was an this. odd, yeah, it was an odd scenario. And the the one side note on that, only because you'll find this, mm-hmm. given our uh, beginning of our conversation, you might find odd was that day. Um, I because I I've also been doing a fair bit of uh, voice work, which mm-hmm. is great as a as a lawyer because I only have to pop out for maybe two three hours every now and then, every couple of weeks or whatever, and do a bunch of commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, and that day they couldn't move it. There was like a, they, there was a, just a mis- miscommunication on the scheduling and they couldn't move it. And I had to, I had to record a few commercials that same day, the day we were doing the injunction originally. And I got to, I, you know, as part of our arrangement, I was also getting up in court and putting my robes on and arguing. Part oh, of, you found your robes. I found my robes. <laughs> yeah, I had to let them out a little. Yep. Uh, and maybe post COVID, maybe a little more, but uh-huh. I, uh, but yeah, I was, I was in court. So I'd had my arguments ready and then found out, oh my God, I've got, so they helped me, the, the the studio that we kind of arranged it so that I went in there before court started for about an hour, recorded a few commercials. Then on the lunch hour, we already had it planned. I was in a cab and I came back to the studio, but I literally- Oh, literally welcome to was, life of a litigation lawyer. I don't even pity is, you. Yeah. This was like my pre-COVID life, running from here to there to everywhere. And yeah. in terms of the robes- Yeah, you're in robes, um, right? Yes, I was. Yeah. But uh, right now during COVID era, um, it's my understanding that you're not- wearing robes because they're not there's no access to the change rooms oh so you are allowed to wear regular oh, clothes so that might change that would be great so you don't actually oh. you know what though i actually like wearing my robes i'll tell you why why because when i am in a trial situation it's there's already so much going on in terms of prep and moving documents and whatever trying to figure out what to wear in front of a jury, in front of the lawyers, in front of the public, in front of the judge. Like, I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. And then, you know, is is this skirt too short? If I wear pants, is there going to be some guy that's like, a woman should be wearing a skirt? Like, all these yeah. considerations yeah. 
that I don't have to deal with. That's kind of like, you know, if you'd gone to, you know, I knew I had friends who were at private schools. So a uniform. Their, I know yeah, I used to roll out of bed. Were, yeah, I, I used to roll out of bed and put my uniform yeah. on and people used to say, do you, don't you hate wearing uniform? I'm like, no, I love it. I roll out of bed and just put the same clothes on yeah. every day. It's great. And you don't have to worry about, you know, is anyone going to make fun of my clothing? Is this the latest, greatest outfit, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, no, I love my uniform yeah. then. And the robes are really helpful when I have a stressful case. I don't have to deal with choosing what to wear and all that I business. Mm-hmm. I so there, that. yeah, there's definitely benefits. But as I said, right now you will not have to loosen things further. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because never... you don't have to wear them. Right yeah. Now. So speaking of COVID, how has the pandemic era impacted your area of practice, or has it? I should ask first. Uh, very much, um, because right now, you know, film and TV production ground to a halt, and my the biggest part of my practice is film and TV and, and a lot of film financing. Uh, and so we had, we had a couple movies, uh, that were basically, we would have shot by now, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, films that would have been financed and already in the can as they say. And so, yeah, that all that stopped. And so now it's about how do we, it, under you know COVID nineteen and the kind of protocols that you would need to have in place, how do we shoot movies? How do we get back into production? And there's a lot of places that it is happening now. I know in Vancouver they started filming again. I think it's been at least a month ago um, in Los Angeles, despite you know spikes and and uh, uh, you know a lot of uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of increases in in uh, COVID cases there as well. They've managed to figure out ways that they can keep the cast and crew safe. Uh, the guilds like SAG, et cetera, are very much part of that approval process now. So you have to kind of present to them, here's our plan. Uh, we had one picture that we were uh, planning on doing that we're still going to be going into production on, my client is, uh, involving, uh, it was, it was going to involve, or sorry, I'm kind of talking about it in two different ways because it's actually kind of morphed into it's, it was originally going to shoot, uh, on a ranch, uh, in the middle of the United States. Uh, and it involved one location and three cast. And, uh, so the thinking was, well, we'll just quarantine, uh, quarantine for 14 days. Well, for 14 days prior quarantine, everybody in the single location, kind of like a camp. And but would they be working during mm-hmm. quarantine? Well, yeah, they would. Well, no. Well, initially 14 days. So that way you would know that everybody was safe. clear they're okay. and safe. And then you would begin shooting and okay. just keep everybody in quarantine while you shoot and keep the, the shoot days minimally uh, or minimal. And, um, and that was, that could have worked well. We ended up for other reasons having to shift out of that. Um, and so we are, it looks like we're going to be shooting in LA, but, um, you know, still there's, you know, a number of protocols around that in terms of, you know, who on set can have contact with other people. And if that way, you know, if one, one person in one department, for instance, goes down with or shows COVID-19 symptoms, maybe it's in your wardrobe department or something, you, you need to be able to partition that sufficiently so that you can then, you know, contact tracing, basically be able to say, well, they've only had contact with so-and-so and so-and-so. So so Mm -hmm. we don't need to, these other departments can keep functioning 
you know, and and we can keep moving, or maybe we do need to shut down before it's, but it's for a limited period of time. Um, I have a suggestion. Yeah, this is what I would like to also tell the sports teams. You know, don't don't go to Florida. Why don't you go to like the Northwest Territory and and play basketball there? Because yeah. I don't think anyone has COVID. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So similarly, yeah, I know. know. Go where, go where there's no. Why are you going to California? Don't go to Texas. Don't go to Florida. Don't go Arizona. I know. You know, California. I don't know. I know exactly. (laughs) Well, yeah, and within those places, you know, how isolated are you? Because that's the other question. You could be anywhere where there's, you know, as long as within that area you're 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 able to isolate, um, and and uh, and function, and you know, and be able to assure a big group of people. And making sure everyone behaves. Yeah. You know, it's not easy. I know. That's been exactly. Yeah, like well, someone's going to sneak out. I, well, that's that. <laughs> that yeah. And so we I know, I know. Uh, that's part of the challenge. Right? Yes. Is making sure everybody's on the same wavelength and uh, and there are no um, Okay. So if someone contracts COVID while they're filming a movie. Yeah. What happens? Well, this is part of the issue as well right now for the industry is that you, you know, they're typically pre COVID, you would have uh, something called essential element insurance. So you'd have on your key cast. Um, and so if they went down with an illness, uh, that, you know, the financiers could still be recompensed and, um, and, uh, you know, if, again, if there was no point in going further, cause you know, your lead actor who is tied into the value of the movie goes down, what are you going to do otherwise? Uh, The problem now is that the insurers are saying, well, we're not going to, during a pandemic, don't expect us to insure against COVID-19 related illnesses. We're not going to deal with that. Well, most of these insurers from the SARS pandemic already put exclusionary clauses. Um, I've seen all those with uh, business interruption insurance where there's a lot of exclusionary clauses. So... Yeah, I can see them not wanting to. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we <laughs> offer insurance yeah. for COVID. Yeah, but of course, the industry depends on that, right, yeah. to go forward because mm-hmm. your financiers need to have assurances. And so, right now, what uh, a lot of the uh, associations uh, and lobby groups on behalf of the film and TV industries are doing is lobbying the governments in the United States and Canada to provide essentially backstop insurance uh, mm-hmm. to be able to keep productions going. And, and how's that going for you? <laughs> um, it's, uh, well, I'm, I, I, it's, you know, the government has no more money. Yeah, exactly. Well, they say, seem to think. did you see our $300 billion deficit? Oh no. Oh I yes. Didn't, oh, I didn't oh see yes. That. Yes. Wow. It was announced. Uh, sorry. Uh, it was a snapshot that they provided. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Well, we knew it was going to be big. We, we knew, knew. And apparently it's just going to get bigger. bigger. Oh, yeah. But uh, let's uh, not talk politics right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see me very heated. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I, I've learned so much and uh, I could keep asking you questions because I'm fascinated by what you do. Like it, it's so different than what I do. And one of the reasons that I want to interview uh, lawyers in different areas of law is not just because I'm curious and interested, but I think a lot of people out there don't know what we do. Um, I had mentioned yeah. to you when I asked you to do this interview that uh, for me as a personal injury lawyer, a lot of people don't know what I do. They think, oh, 
car accidents. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned to you that, you know, we don't go around injuring ourselves and saying, I had a personal injury. <laughs> yeah. Let me call a lawyer. Um, so, yeah. you know, like uh, my job, I, I'm hoping that by interviewing people in different areas of the law, we can enlighten the public about what it is we do. And, and if anyone needs our help, they know who to go to for that. Help. Yeah. No, thank you. I, this has been this has been great. It's been a lot of fun. And and I, I, I yeah, I agree with you. It helps sometimes just to give a, an overall, um, you know, kind of bite sized description for people to at least. Oh, OK. So that's what I would you know, that's who I would go to in that case. Exactly. Because uh, otherwise that, you know, it's not something that uh, uh, they might they might be aware of. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for giving me homework. I appreciate it. You're the first guest to do that. Now, I, I, I got more for you right here. Look yeah, at yeah. this. No, we're done. Boom. Thank you very much. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks again, Doug. All right. Thanks, Jasmine.